What happens when a Catholic deacon matches wits with a Catholic radio show host? You get a marriage made in heaven. They may not always agree, but they're always faithful. It's the Akins with their view from the pew on Modern Day Radio. And welcome to this episode of View from the Pew. I am your host, Brenda Aiken, and joining me today well, is a man who stepped up his coffee-making skills, the good deacon, Scott Aiken. I don't think I stepped up skills. I certainly spent more money on coffee, <laughs> the American habit. Yeah, no, I, we got a new uh, coffee maker in addition to the coffee maker that we have called an Nespresso, right? And that's uh, we saw this cool one that a friend of ours had, and we were sold, and when I got home, I looked for one right away, cheaply as I am, looked for a used one. Of course. And found a great used one. And so since we've had it, I think our daughter has used it more than anybody in the house, our college daughter. That's she's right. Now, it. when she's away at school at St. Martin's University up in Lacey, she is a barista in the cafeteria among the other duties that she has there. So since she's been home this summer, she has been trying to convince us to get an espresso maker. She would go through the whole process. She'll tamp down the coffee. She'll get it all set, steam the milk separately. It's a process. I just want to have a cup of coffee. Well, this Nespresso, when we brought it home, she did kind of turn her nose up to it. Initially, she said, oh, I don't know what you guys have done here, but this is not right. That is, of course, until she had her first cup of espresso with the steamed milk, and she is uh, sold for sure on it. So just as we're trying to get more things out of our house, well, we seem to manage to find things that come in. It's been a, a very nice summer having her home, but we are right on the verge of that next phase in life. When she goes back to school, of course, having the summer wedding and with our oldest daughter still being back in her home in Ellensburg, uh, we are going to have one child left in the house. And that house got a whole lot bigger, I think, over this summer, especially since the wedding. We had all this wedding stuff piling up around different places. Well, since our daughter moved out and some of the stuff is getting put away or sold, the house has been remarkably clean. I kind of like that, but it is a signal to me that we're we're going through a change in our household. Yeah, we sure are. And I think that's good because it just reminds us that our life is ever-changing and even as we get more complacent in our old age we realize that that's uh, that's not the skill to learn to be complacent the skill is always to learn to be childlike and open to new possibilities so i say that because i am talking to myself third person like i oftentimes suggest people do on the show um yeah got to be open to new possibilities and the new possibility is we're going to be empty nesters and even though we've heard that from friends who have gone through that process, it's like grandparenting, I'm sure. When we have our first grandchild, we're going to be over the moon as every grandparent I've ever talked to has been, but we won't fully know it until we're there. Yeah, I think for all of us too, and especially for myself, I feel this change isn't necessarily an easy thing for me to do. Now, if it's change like, let's change the comforter and I can go out shopping and get something new, or I'm going to change the black shoes in my closet to a whole new set of black shoes or whatever, that's the kind of change I can manage real easily. But when it's a big life event, I, I don't take to change very well. It's difficult me. I ask God, why am I getting... 
Why are you putting me through this? Why do I have to be different than I am? I'm comfortable. Everything is working out just fine. I don't want to change. And yet, as soon as you get into that place, well, God says, we're going to mix things up just a little bit for you. Well, I've certainly gone through some change, and I think we're going to talk today about change that occurs within the priesthood and how do priests work with that and understand the ramifications of that because they're moving from a family to a new family when they make these moves. We'll talk more about that. Yeah, absolutely. It is July, and that means many priests have been reassigned, and that doesn't always make sense to us, especially if we have a priest in our parish who is so beloved and who's done wonderful things in our parish and for our families. And then we have to say, well, wait, how come you're sending him to another parish? And then we don't know who's coming in. So we are going to spend some time talking about that today. Also coming up, well, our good friend, Father Gabriel Mosier, he's joining the show today. He is going through a transition and he has a new assignment. He'll be different than what our diocesan priests experience. He, of course, is part of the Dominican order. He's at Holy Rosary here in Portland, but, well, they have a much broader range. So he's not just moving within the diocese. He's actually going to another state. It's going to be a great episode, so stay with us on this week's View from the Pew. Awake with coffee in the morning But she prefers two lumps of sugar and tea Hello and welcome to Catholic Bite 60 Seconds, where 2,000 years of faith and tradition is explained one minute at a time. I'm Father Tim Furlow of the Archdiocese of Portland and Oregon. Today we're going to talk about grace. Inevitably, all of us get into a situation where we need help. And when we've exhausted all the human help around us, usually somebody says, Hey, you know what you need? You need to pray for the grace to do it. So what does that mean? Because it kind of sounds like a really cold exchange of money. Like, hey, you out of money? Hit Jesus up. He's got five bucks. The old God is a slot machine, and when we pray, we're really just hoping our numbers come up. That is not it at all. There are several types of grace and many effects that grace has on us, but at its core, it's the literal, actual being and presence of God. It's God himself personally flowing into our being and permanently healing and changing us. Doesn't get much more personal than that. I'm Father Tim Furlow, and this is Catholic Bites 60 Second. What do the famous Batmobile, Love Bug, and Mystery Machine have in common? They were all given to Day Radio's vehicle donation program. Well, not really, but they could have been, and you could do the same. If you have a car, truck, van, RV, or boat that you no longer need, consider donating it to Mater Day Radio. It's quick and easy and a likely tax deduction for you. And you'll be supporting uplifting Catholic radio programs. Information on our website at materdayradio.com. Family life can be hectic, but God can be found right in the middle of it. So take a moment for this week's View from the Pew. Well, think back over the course of life in a parish, you know that as part of their ministries, well, priests come and stay for a while. They leave a lasting impression in our hearts and more importantly, helped in the salvation of souls. And with those priests who have baptized our children, present at their first communions and confirmation, they've stood present in witness of the sacrament of marriage. They've even buried our dead. Well, they become part of our family memory. 
And then we hear of their reassignment, and we are a little sad that we have to say goodbye. Well, such is the case for our chaplain here at Mater Day Radio, Father Gabriel Mosier from Holy Rosary Church. Father Gabriel has a new assignment. He will be leaving our area, but not our hearts. And he's also joining us today. Good morning, Father Gabriel. Thank you for sitting with us today. Uh, it's my pleasure. Well, first, I'd like to know, how long have you been here in the Portland area? How long has this assignment kept you here? Seven years. I've been here for seven years. And in those seven years, what has been your impression of the Portland area? Oh, I love Portland. I actually, some people know this about me, but I lived here previously when I was a seminarian for the Archdiocese Santa Fe. I was uh, at Mount Angel for a year. And so I'd come up to Portland regularly. I discovered Holy Rosary through at that time, a, a young seminarian named uh, Eric Anderson. And uh, and <laughs> so me and Father Eric, we used to come up here and and uh, got to know the community. In some ways, this is where I found my vocation to be a Dominican. So I love Portland. I love the Portland area. I love Holy Rosary. I love all of this stuff. And leaving, it's going to be a challenge. Well, Father Gabriel, that's interesting to know that you first entered seminary as a diocesan priest and then found your order. How did all of this, your vocation, your call, and then to the Dominicans, how did all of that come for you? Oh, gosh, that's a really long story. But I think the best way to put it is simply that God knew that I would not be happy until I was in a religious community. And so uh, through various trials and temptations and and uh, um, frustrations and and life decisions, uh, I ended up leaving the seminary and uh, and then found my way eventually uh, into the order, um, you know, uh, considered other possibilities uh, was very uh, close with, uh, in particular, this uh, one girl at one point uh, between between seminary and entering the order. So got very serious and then, you know, just had to had to come back. You know, mm-hmm. it was one of those things like I couldn't I couldn't ever get away from this idea that I needed to be a priest. It just once it was put in my head when uh, when I was in my early 20s, uh, it never went away, no matter how much I may have wanted it to go away sometimes, <laughs> but it was always there. And uh, and I'm just grateful that God uh, brought it to completion. And then seven years later, eight years later, you know, they ordained me a priest and uh, then I was sent here. And so this is actually my first assignment as a priest. So I've been a priest for seven years as well. So Oh, I yeah. see. Well, Father Gabriel, many of us attend diocesan parishes. We see newly ordained young men come and be trained, and then they're assigned new parishes of their own. Also, pastors, they'll serve six, maybe 12 years at a church and then be moved. And with your order, well, they're reassigned. Why does that have to happen? Those of us who are left in the parishes think we were getting along so well, we're thriving, and now, you know, they come in and they mess it all up for us. Why does that happen? We want you to suffer. Is that, it feels like that. It feels a little bit like that. <laughs> no, no, no. So, um, you know, it's different for a diocese than it is for a religious order. A religious order, like our territory, is gigantic. It's one of the largest provinces in the world. It it spans sort of the geographical region from uh, Arizona all the way up north to, to the boundaries with Canada and all of the states west of the United States from there and into the middle of the Pacific Ocean. And... Um, so we've got a lot of a lot of things going on with a lot of places that we have to serve. And just like any other institution, we have our internal way of doing things. And one of those is right now, at least in our uh, estimation of our religious life as Dominicans, 
is a re-emphasis on our conventional life. And so one of the things that we've done is we've contracted, we've uh, made our ministry obligations uh, fewer, if you will, so that we can have larger communities, so that we can chant the divine office together, that we can have the common meals, that we can do all the things that we're supposed to do according to our constitutions, instead of just being the awesome priests who are white. And that's an important thing for us. And that authentic living out of our charism and our and our legislation is something that we believe will lead to a greater renewal within our religious order, at least within our province. So as a result, when we close places or when we open places uh, based off of our manpower abilities, we have to make decisions about who's going to be where and what's going to do who, you know, and that's that's sort of what's going on in many ways. So like with my reassignment here, it had to do with the community there in, in Salt Lake. They said, we want to move this ministry forward in a specific way. It's a small community. You know, it's not one of the larger communities. And they said, you know, who can we get to to partner with us on this and they they thought that I would be a good fit for it and so then it started a conversation about all right so who's who's now going to have to take Father Gabriel's place in Portland so it's a it's we call, we call it like the giant sudoku of death when they <laughs> when they have to do reassignments right yeah cuz it's to not find just one all place. the numbers to to yeah. line up it's crazy like the assignments just go it's just this big board shifting yeah well, that big board is shifting, and it's shifting Father Gabriel to Salt Lake City. We will miss him very much. Father Gabriel, your ministry has allowed you to do so many things. Not, It just really cannot be confined to just one part, one sacramental life, one piece of the church. It's, it's so vast. Kind of share with our listeners really what your ministry and what your assignment here in Portland has allowed you to do. Yeah, I'd say so. My my the first aspect of that is just what the assignment is itself, which is parochial vicar at Holy Rosary Parish, which means I collaborate with the pastor or parochial administrator, whatever happens to be there at the time, uh, in their work, what they their vision of the parish, and and collaborate in that in that disposition, and that has a lot to do with sacramental work and other assigned tasks. For instance, we have uh, we have. Third Order Chapters, uh, the Dominican Lady, we've got Knights of Columbus, we're, I'm the chaplain for that, or was. I've resigned from everything now, so it's like, it's it's kind of strange. So there's the Knights of Columbus that that I was a chaplain for, one of our one of our Dominican Lady I was a religious assistant for. Um, I tried to help uh, get started a Legion of Mary uh, group that kind of fell apart for other reasons, uh, but uh, that and getting the... Uh, the St. Vincent de Paul Society started again at the parish and, you know, just a lot of these sorts of things. And then n- not to mention just all the the heavy sort of sacramental work that we do at the parish, uh, particularly confessions and, you know, those, all that stuff. It's just, it's a lot of work in and of itself. In addition to doing the things that are necessary within the priory itself in our own community. So right now, uh, my principal responsibility is I'm what's called the sacristan, which I have to account for all the mass stipends for masses that are being said uh, for that people, you know, offer funds for and account for all of that and make sure that money is, is, uh, processed properly, sure. uh, for the sake of the people. And, and then also the archivist. And, but at one point, I mean, at one point when I was, uh, here probably about five years ago, maybe I held every job in the, in the priory, except for the prior, like, except for the superior, it, it just about everything, 
procurator, sacristan, archivist, librarian. Um, yeah, every formal job I literally had. It was crazy. So, yeah, so there's a lot of things going on, and that's that's just internal stuff. Then, you know, I'm always busy, so I've got all the extracurriculars, like being appointed to the to the board of, of Mater Dei Radio and uh, other such endeavors, um, helping out helping out with the Sacred Liturgy Conference, uh, our own uh, Cantors and Ecclesias, William Bird Festival. I mean, just there's just so much, so much. Yeah. Uh, I still remember the first year that I got here uh, was, uh, was the 100th anniversary of the apparitions of Fatima. And so with the help of the group that we have that meets at the parish for, uh, that are dedicated to the apparitions of Fatima and the message of Fatima, uh, we organized uh, a procession throughout the city that that started in different parts of the city and all converged on the cathedral with a mass for the archbishop in honor of Our Lady of Fatima. That was that was really fun. I love to hear that the idea of working for the church and doing wonderful things for the church. It's fun. It is. It should be. Now, now here's a funny story about that too. Is the principal person that I was working with is a woman by the name of Brenda Schwartz. She doesn't uh, live here anymore. She lives down in Bend. Well, right before I leave to right before I leave to uh, Salt Lake City, I'll be uh, witnessing the marriage of her son <laughs> down oh. in Bend uh, to uh, uh, the daughter of some parishioners here. Uh, and so it's just it's gonna it's. It's a fitting sort of closing of a circle yeah. in many ways. As a priest, and especially as a Dominican, you are witness to all parts of, of the family life, and that's how you become part of a, of a family's memory for sure. Yeah, I mean, one day I was I was standing outside of Holy Rosary at the grotto that we have there of Our Lady of Lords, and I was all these people were coming up, and I was talking to them, and there was kids running around and all this stuff, and I looked and I stopped and I said, you know what? I have married every single one of these couples and I've baptized every single one of these kids. Yes. This is wild. That is beautiful. Tell us a little bit about what you know of the community that you will be joining there. Well, it's principally a university parish. Uh, we serve the University of Utah and um, amongst other things and other people. But it's, that's its, that's its um, mission. And my job principally is to free the campus minister, who is also a Dominican, Father Cody, to do that work. Uh, I'll be involved in it as well, but as the pastor of St. Catherine's there, my job will be to make sure that everything doesn't fall apart. So it's uh, a lot of fundraising, a lot of a lot of friend making, a lot of relationship building, and uh, uh, and more fundraising. And then, uh, <laughs> and then, uh, well, I keep sharing with everybody. I'm like, I did an assessment. I'm like, man, I got to raise a lot of money like yesterday, and yeah. and. Yeah, it's hard, especially since it's not a traditional parish. Traditional parishes tend to have the resources of all the parishioners. Mm-hmm. Oh, we got a bunch of broke college students, right? right. And so we're trying to figure out how to how to you know put a new roof on the place, so to speak. We pray that you have many blessings uh, as you go there. That you bless the people that you will be serving there. We know, as far as here at Mater Day Radio, they have chosen well in sending you to your new assignment, Father Gabriel. We will miss you terribly. Before you go, will you offer us? Your blessing again. Absolutely. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our help is in the name of the Lord. Who made made heaven heaven and earth. earth. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Father Gabriel, thank you so much for your time today. May I ask that you continue to pray for us, and we will always keep you in our prayers. Thank you so much. Thank you. Everybody, I'm on my way. New friends and new 
skies ahead, yes, I'm on my way, and there's nowhere else that I'd rather be. Scott, for our listeners, that was a recorded interview that we actually shared also on the Morning Blend. Now, Father Gabriel's been in the station lots of times. In fact, every month he comes to Mater Day Radio, and we have a little chapel downstairs, and he says Mass for us. And then occasionally he'll come back upstairs into the studio. We will record prayers. We'll do an interview. He's a wealth of information, always so joyful. And we would laugh and talk for such a long time after his interviews. Well, after this interview, after we said that, yes, we will pray for you. Will you keep us in your prayers? And I stopped the recording. We were all just a little quiet almost a little sad knowing that we won't have his presence in the station anymore and that many people are going through that because around this time of year in July, the new priest assignments start. Some people have lost, you know, pastors that have been with them for a long time, perhaps a newly ordained trying to learn his way full of enthusiasm. Well, another parish is going to get that enthusiasm And even for you, while this isn't part of the normal movement of deacons, your ministry, though, has changed, and we're feeling that a little bit, too. It makes you a little nervous when you go into a new parish like you've done. And, you know, I guess, you know, I I liken it to when I was a child and, and we moved around quite a bit. Every time we moved to a new community, we'd have to create new friendships. We'd have to find a new connection to a new church. You know, these moves for me, uh, this is what I, I am feeling as I'm making this move from St. Joseph in Vancouver over to Holy Redeemer in Vancouver. It's a blessing to be able to do this. Uh, it's a blessing to St. Joseph that they've had so many deacons, that they still have three deacons. Um, but the transition is nonetheless uh, something that I'm going to have to live into as the community is going to have to live into having me around. But I think that's the the contrast is, were it not for this experience, you wouldn't have the ability to understand why do we feel, why do we have melancholy? Why do we reflect with, with um, joy in our hearts on things that have happened in the past? And why do we have maybe some temporary anxiety about things of the future? Uh, that's our humanity. And yet the joy is felt in that contrast, the tension, if you will, of the life that we can look back and we say, you know, I have these great memories of this place where I was at before, and I will have great memories, I know, because God is with me in this new place. And having the faith to carry you to the next new thing is so vital because it's rooted, our faith is rooted in hope. And as these priests make these transitions, they have to go through that themselves. Their family, as I said earlier, is the church that they're in. That is their spouse, that is their children, that is their grandchildren as they're there with that community. And when they transition, they leave one family behind to move to another one, but doing so in hope that God is with them and will bring new and great experiences in their position where they're heading. That's what I'm trying to remind myself. And I think every priest goes through that as a transition because it's, it's not human nature to easily change. Oh. We're adaptable, but it's, it's a struggle. You know, Scott, just coming up on August 6th, it is the Feast of the Transfiguration. You know, you think about the apostles up there on the mountain with Christ saying, let's just stay here because this is perfect. 
why can't we just stay here? I feel like as parishioners, we say that when when things are going wonderfully in a parish, let's not change any of this. But God, you know, as Christ told the apostles, no, you can't stay here. We've got to be willing to move. We've got to be willing to take that message out. We've got to be willing to bless our priests and wish them well and offer them to other parishes yeah, because that goodness needs to be spread. You know, there was an article that I found uh, online, too, about as parishioners, what can you do if you have a new priest? And or in our case, maybe, you know, if Holy Redeemer is listening, you have a new deacon. You know, one of the things they said is, uh, you know, to not be upset, like with an archdiocese, don't fire off letters to people. You know, it could be that the priests themselves ask for a, tr- a transfer. Sometimes it's because of family obligations, parents that they need to be near to help take care of. You know, priests sometimes do ask for that, but it can be difficult, especially if you've had a very close spiritual relationship. If a priest has brought you into the church, has shown you Christ-like, if your faith has really changed because of a priest, well, now you're sad because they're leaving. Another thing they said is when you get a new priest, don't always presume that that same kind of familiarity that you had with your previous priest, because they're going to approach this all new. The other tip, and I will say this for anybody meeting you, Scott, when they see you reintroduce themselves several times by reminding us of their names, because that first week we were there, we must have met uh, two, 300 people, right? And so that's going to be a reintroduction process. Uh, and that's going to be the same for the priest as well. I think the one name I've never forgotten in my life so far has been your name. <laughs> Thank goodness for that. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, that's uh, when you learn so many names and you're, and you're having to take things in new. Uh, yeah. To be iterative as the parishioner, to, to give the benefit of the doubt to the priest who is coming in to give space for the, for that new priest to grow into a relationship with you. Uh, and I think that's great. Um, advice not to just presume, I had this relationship with this priest, I should have it with this priest. No, our relationships are gifts to one another. We should not expect, the, even though that's our human nature, we should not expect the return. We give and we give for the purpose of God to this person who's coming in, whether the priest gives it to, to me as a parishioner or a parishioner gives it to the priest. It's gift to one another, and out of that relationship grows. So, yeah, I think there's a, a lot of preconceived notions that we have to set aside. And our human tendency is to, can we just hang on to those preconceived notions like the apostles on Mount Tabor? They're like, can't we just, this looks like heaven to me. Yeah. Can't we just stick with this? And the truth is, as long as we have breath to breathe in this life, we need to continue to grow. We, there's not a point at which, okay, I'm growing and now I can live my life. No, you're going to grow just like as, a, as an infant. You're going to continue to grow into your adulthood, into your aged adulthood, into the time where you'll become dependent once again, deeply on the help of others. All of that transition is the beauty of learning relationship and learning that God is with us in those moments. God is with us in every moment, even when we have to go through these changes. Scott, before we go, will you end us in prayer? Yes. Lord, in the transition of life, as we transition into seasons, help us to embrace the newness, embrace the regeneration of life that you promise us. 
that we're living into this summer that came from the spring that you just allowed to happen for us. Help us to see that example in the changes that will occur this summer with our priests, with our parishes, and trust that you are always with us in these changes and that we embrace them as children trusting in the Father who has gifted us with these graces. We ask all this in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. And that is going to wrap it up for us this week. Please tune in next week as we share with you more stories about our faith, our family, and our view from the pew. God bless and stay cool this week. You've been listening to View from the Pew, a weekly look at faith and family life from a Catholic perspective with Deacon Scott and Brenda Aiken. For more information on the Aikens and to listen to an archive of their previous shows, visit them online at moderndayradio.com slash pew. View from the Pew is produced at the studios of Modern Day Radio in Portland, Oregon.